The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Finding favour with God. If you have your Bibles, which you open to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read the story of Mary. But before we read the story of Mary, how many of you know that uh, we are a multicultural church? in this uh, multinational church. We have over 60 different nationalities in our church. And so there's so many different celebrations for Christmas. Uh, how, how many of you are going to have lasagna or cannelloni for Christmas dinner? Yeah. Go the Italians. The Italians and food. How many of you are going to have ham? How many of you are having turkey? Uh, great. Well, hey, in, um, in Greenland, they have an incredible dish for Christmas. It's called kiviak. Has anybody ever had kiviak? How many of you want to know what kiviak is? Well, it takes seven months to prepare kiviak. And so you start with the carcasses of birds. And then you find the carcass of a seal. You know, when I say a seal, I'm talking about an animal seal. And then what you do is that you put the carcasses of the birds inside the carcass of the seal for seven months until it ferments and then you're ready for Christmas dinner. It's called Kiviak. How many of you can't wait to have Kiviak? What's the matter with you? This is a delicacy in so many parts of Greenland, not here. So, uh, you know, every, every society has their own Christmas, um, Christmas focal points and in Iceland, they have the Jola Kotrun. The Jola Kotrun is a cat monster. Can you believe that? And the cat monster will get you if you don't have new clothes for Christmas. How many of you know that's a great motivation to have new clothes for Christmas? Come on, you ladies, you need to introduce this so you can get some new clothes for Christmas. Apparently, it was introduced by the, the companies who made wool so that um, everyone can have new woolen clothes. For Christmas, the, the cat monster will get you. It's uh, Jolokatrum. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Arizona. You can actually get a photo with Santa and a machine gun. Only in America. Uh, Arizona. So, uh, so Santa with a machine gun. You always wanted to get a photo with Santa and a machine gun. Scottsdale Gun Club hosts the annual Santa and Machine Gun event, spreading peace, love, and goodwill. <laughs> uh, how many of you are from Germany? Germany, they've got the Krampus. The Krampus, with a K. The Krampus is a horned, hunchback beast that beats kids with sticks and chains if they play up. How many of you think that's a good thing, to keep their kids in good behavior? The Krampus will get you. There you go. And um, Japan, I love this one with Japan. Where's Anna? Where's, where's Junko? In Japan, they don't have turkey for Christmas. They have chicken for Christmas. And KFC got on board in the 70s with, uh, is that true? And so at Christmas time in Japan, KFC, they've got lines and lines of people getting Christmas chicken. How many of you think that's pretty smart of KFC? Huh? <laughs> KFC, they've made Christmas the center. They've made KFC the center of Christmas in Japan. Isn't that right? There you go. That's, there you go. Anyway, having said that, 
the custom that we have here in Australia is that you come to Life Source for Christmas. That is what all the families of Sydney do. They come to Life Source for Christmas. So bring your family, bring your friends, bring your neighbors, even bring your enemies. And if they come, we'll get them saved. They won't be your enemies anymore. Best place for them to come is Christmas with us. And let's celebrate and hang around a little bit because there's always food. We got, even on Christmas Day, we've got, what have we got? We've got pudding, cake, we've got food and sweet stuff. So hang around and that'll be awesome. Okay, let's get into the Word of God. Um, Luke chapter 1, the story of Mary. Uh, can we read from verse 26 of Luke chapter 1? It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man. I, I just love that the first introduction of Mary is to describe her as a virgin. And uh, that's, that's interesting in itself. We're going to talk about that later, what that means. And she was betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, here's the big question. Here's the big question. Why did God choose Mary? Why is it that Mary got chosen? Why is it that of all the women of Israel and, and all the young ladies would all pray, I want to be the mother of the Messiah. I want to be the mother. It was considered a huge honor to be the mother of the Messiah. And so why was Mary picked? Why? And, and, and the answer that the angel says, you were favored. We found favor with you. So can you imagine that this, if you can just get a picture of heaven, there's the, um, there's the board table in heaven. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit around the board table saying, who will we pick to be the mother of the Messiah? All these names must have come up. But guess who they voted on? They voted on Mary. Let's choose Mary. Why is that? Because she's the highly favored one. What, what was it in Mary that caused her to be picked? That's the big question I'm going to try to answer today. And, um, and how many of you want to know the answer to that? Because whatever Mary did to get favor, you can do to get favor as well. How many of you want favor? I want favor of my family. I want favor of my life. And so in a moment, we're going to look at four reasons why Mary got favor. So let's, let's continue reading a little bit more. Let's read a little bit more. Um, but when she saw him, the angel, verse 29, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And yeah, it's, this, this favor gets, gets repeated in this Christmas story over and over again. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? How can this be since I'm a virgin? How can this be since I've not had any sexual relationships? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, 
Also, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, get hold of this, nothing will be impossible. Come on, why don't we all say it together? With God, nothing will be impossible. I think we need to say it again to get the flow. After three, one, two, three. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Then let's, let's read verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. You know, I shouldn't have missed those verses. Because those verses 39 to, to 45 are, are such powerful verses. Because what happened is that, is that Mary then sets off to meet up with her cousin Elizabeth, who was already six months pregnant with John the Baptist. So here's, here's Elizabeth. She's, she's got John the Baptist in her womb. And John the Baptist is, has been in the womb for six months. And Mary walks into the presence of Elizabeth, and she'd only just had the seed placed within a womb. So she was only pregnant a couple of days. And so that embryo within Mary, the embryo of Jesus, was just a couple of days. But the embryo in Elizabeth had been there for six months. And the Bible says that when the two women met, verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leapt in the womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's when a two-day or three-day embryo meets a six-month embryo, kaboom, something happens. And folks, you know, you know what this speaks about? This speaks about life starting at conception. That's what this speaks about. This is not about life happening when the baby exits the womb. No, life happens at conception. And that's what this is all about, that he's the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of John the Baptist actually having fellowship something happening to the spirits. See, we, we believe that we are more than just flesh and blood. See, we believe that we are spirit, soul, and body. We believe this, that when conception happens, that's when the beginning of our life starts to happen. See, even though I was born on the 8th of March, 1959, my life started to take its, its, its root back in June of 1958 when I was conceived. Nine months before I was born, I was conceived and something was happening. And so, you know, folks, let's, let's give life the value that it has. And for us, life starts at conception. And Psalm 139 opens up how valuable life is. So don't you be brainwashed with the indoctrination of this world that just has no understanding of what the Bible teaches us. And the reason why this world is, 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 is the way that it is, is because they have not given value to the Word of God. And can I just say to you that when you give value to the word of God, you will always win. And what happens to this world is that they're making laws that actually devalue the word of God. Much to their consternation. Because all that will happen is that society will just 
fall further and further apart. It doesn't get better when it, re- when, when it goes against the Word of God. It actually falls apart. But let's be people that put value on the Word of God. Let's be people that just love the Word of God and say, look, as far as my house is concerned, as far as me and my house is concerned, we're going to put value on the Word of God. Can anybody say amen to that? You know what? If you need to clap, maybe this is a great time for you to clap. That's it. Okay. And so then verse 46 is is the Song of Mary, what's been called the Magnificat in in Latin. And it's, it's this beautiful song that starts with, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. His regard of the lowly state of his maidservant. And from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. And it goes on with more praise and with more worship. So let me talk to you today. Why Mary was favored, why she was picked, why she became the mother of Jesus. Can I just stop and pause there for a second and say to you that Mary was not the mother of God. She was the mother of Jesus. God does not have a mother. So, so this logic that says, hang on here, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Jesus was God. Absolutely. Therefore, because Jesus was God, Mary was the mother of God. The logic stops there. Jesus was fully human and fully God. What Mary was, was the mother of the humanity of Jesus, not the divinity of Jesus. The divinity of Jesus has always been. So let's not get confused by saying Mary was the mother of God. No, she was the mother of Jesus. Okay, we got that? Very good. Let's move on to why she found favor. Four reasons why Mary found favor. Let's move with the first reason why she found favor. And it's very simply, she was virtuous. Virtuous means to have high morality, to have moral integrity. The Bible introduces Mary as the virgin. The Bible introduces Mary as someone with high moral integrity. And somehow what's happened is that there's a brainwashing that's been taking place today that actually devalues moral integrity and makes other things of more value. What a a strange thing it is to not value your human side and give value to that human side. What a beautiful thing it is for both male and female to so value their sexuality that they say, no, that is something that belongs to the person who makes a lifelong commitment to me. You don't go playing around. You don't go just just selling that cheaply. You know, what, what a ridiculous thing it is for this world to call virgins the nerds of this world rather than saying they are, of most people, the ones who value integrity. You know, what a beautiful thing it was for Anne and I to bring our virginity into our marriage. What a beautiful thing it was for me to say, you know what, I'm just going to keep myself for the woman that I'm going to marry and for her to come to that point as well to say, I'm going to keep that purity for the man that I'm going to... Because of all the people in this world, the only one that deserves that part of me is the one who's going to make that lifelong commitment. What a beautiful gift it is on your wedding night to say, I've saved this for you. I've not given it to anybody else, but just for you. And you know what? You only get one chance at this. So young people, keep... Keep your moral integrity right. Don't be brainwashed by this world that actually devalues what has got high value. Because what a beautiful thing. And can I just say to those of you that, have, that, 
have made mistakes in this. Just come to Jesus. He'll forgive you. And, and in forgiveness, you can then make a new covenant to say, well, you know what? Maybe I wasn't taught this in my life growing up. But as from this day, I'm making a moral covenant and I'm going to keep myself pure for, for my marriage. And be able to come and say, you know what? Until, until I went to a church that taught this, I just was led to believe that this was not a value. But when I discovered the value of it, bang, I made a vow. And from this moment on, I bring the value that I can to the marriage act. What a beautiful thing it is. And then afterwards, what a wonderful thing. See, Anne and I just celebrated 37 years, 37th anniversary just um, this week. We just celebrated 37 years. But... But what a beautiful thing to say, sweetheart, I've kept myself pure just for you. Just, it's not for nobody else, but just for you. And to be able to celebrate 37 years of faithfulness. What a beautiful thing it is to be able to celebrate moral integrity. It's a beautiful, it's a powerful thing. It forms such a foundation of faithfulness and integrity. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to celebrate. What a wonderful thing it is. And sent me to Poland. And, you know, I was, I was away from home for 10 days. But there's a trust factor involved there. I was away from home for 10 days. But there's also a, tract, a trust factor the other way. Because for 37 years, there's been this integrity that's been built, this foundation that's been built. And it's a beautiful thing to have. And it's a beautiful thing to value. So can I tell you? That Mary found favor with God because she valued moral integrity. You will find value, you will find favor with God when you value moral integrity and when you walk through life respecting moral integrity the way that God's dictated it, not the way the world dictates it, but the way that God dictates it, you will find favor with God. Amen? Number two, the second reason she found favor with God is because she had faith. I love this. Faith. He said, what faith did Mary have? Well, how many of you know, here you are, a virgin. An angel comes and says, you're going to give a baby. You're going to have a baby. And, you know, it's like your whole life can end. Why is that? Because you're weighing the cost of this. I mean, she's only a young lady. I don't, even, I don't know how old she was. But uh, can I just say, from all the research I've done, she would have been a teenager. She would not have been an adult. She would have been a teenager. She was in that betrothal period. And uh, in, in first century uh, Israel, once a girl reaches puberty, then she gets betrothed. And so they found the man for her. His name was Joseph. She was in that betrothal period. So she was probably just a teenager. 14, 15, 16, 17, I don't know. Can't stipulate exactly, but she was a teenager. And so here she is, a teenager, weighing up the whole faith realm, the whole thing of, well, God wants this for my life, but it's going to cost me. And she's already worked it out, but how can this be? Wow. And she's thinking, I've not, I've not known a man. People are going to accuse me of lying. People are going to accuse me of making this story up. What a convenient story it was. You know, I'm pregnant. What happened? Well, an angel came and told me, hello. I mean, some of you are working it out already. Convenient story. And you know what? For centuries, even to this day, some people still say, convenient story, Mary. 
Yeah, even Voltaire accused her of having slept with a Roman soldier. You know, we're talking 19th century. So here she is, her whole life saying, my goodness, how am I going to do this? Do I back away and say no? Or do I say, yes, Lord, whatever you want is what I want because I've worked out that my best life is obedience. My best life. And a lot of people have not yet worked out that their best life is obedience to God. Folks, you've got there's, there's plan A, there's plan B, plan C, plan D, plan Z. And a lot of people are living a second-rate life because they haven't said yes to God with what he wants. Listen to me. Your best life, your very best life is always lived in obedience to God. Your best life is saying, yes, Lord. And, you know, and there are so many times where you just don't get it. You, don't, you try to work it out mathematically and it doesn't work it out. You try to work it out logically and it doesn't work out. But can I tell you that God's already got it worked out. And God's got for you the numero uno life, the best life, the ultimate life. And it's always lived in obedience. And there are many times where you'll come to the crossroads in life. And there's these crossroads. And it's either plan A or plan B. Plan A or plan B. And plan A is obedience to God. Plan B is I'll do it my way. That's a pretty cheap imitation of Frank Sinatra. But uh, I give it my best shot. How many of you can tell that I was called to be a pastor, not a singer? So uh, just as well, I chose that course. See, and this is the point that many times when you get to the crossroads and God says, obey me, he doesn't spell it out. And more often than not, you actually see the pain and the gain. There's gain and there's pain. There's pain and there's gain. There's gain and there's pain. And too many people focus in on the pain and don't choose the gain. I wonder how many, how many, how many of you ladies have had babies? How many of you, before you had a baby, someone told you the pain involved? So why, why did you go for it? Because for the joy that was set before you, you enjoyed, you're in, you're, you endured the, the pain. And uh, I said in the first service, I'll never forget when, you know, we, we've, I've been at the birth of all my three children. And so, hey... Son number one, awesome. Son number two, awesome. But let me tell you, daughter number one was unbelievable. When Christelle was born, here she is on the front row next to mum. But, um, but we were prepared to have three boys and everybody said, nah, how many of you know they, they can tell by looking at your stomach whether it's a boy or a girl? Huh? Especially the Italians, they've worked it out. Some of them actually can wave a salami over your stomach and work it out if it's a boy or a girl. There's, there's ways and means. How many from your culture, there's ways and means of working out whether it's a boy and a girl? Anyway, they used all the ways and means and said, no, you're having a boy. You know, you're carrying it the same. Apparently, you carry a boy different to a girl. Some cultures. I don't know. But Anne was all prepared to have son number three. And then when the baby comes out, and it's a girl. And let me tell you that the childbirth was pretty severe. It was pretty painful. 
But as soon as she saw, I got my girl, it was like she'd forgotten the pain. It was like there was no pain. It was like, that was easy. I got my girl. That's all that matters. I got my girl. And the pain disappears. Can I just say to you that when you choose God's will for your life, there is pain, but it disappears. Simeon prophesied over Mary. It's like, it's like going to be a sword that's going to enter your heart. Can you imagine what it would be like to see your son crucified? Can you, have you got any concept of what it would be to have a son, your firstborn son, and watching Roman soldiers put nails into his hands? Can you imagine the pain that would be? But Mary said, no, God, I'm going to choose your will. And to this day, we call her blessed because she chose God's way. Some of you are at the crossroads of your future and you're wondering, there's a price to pay. Can I just say, whatever the price is, the gain will always be better than the price because God's way will be the best way. Mary was favored because she had faith. God could see the faith in her life. She chose faith. And that's where the favor comes. Faith will always bring favor. And faith is doing it God's way. Come on, can you do it God's way? When you choose to do it God's way. Some of you are facing something right now. Some of you are facing a huge challenge right now. Choose God's way and you will always find God's favor upon your life. Amen? Point number three. Let's move along. So Mary had favor because number one, she had moral integrity, virtuous. Number two, she had faith. Number three, I love this, she was humble. So here's verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. He's the servant of the Lord. Just this incredible humility of saying, Lord, I'm here to serve. I'm a servant. What a wonderful thing it is to be humble. Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Humility. Humility is, a, I believe, the most powerful force. I love those flowers. Who gave you those flowers? Ah, I love those. Someone gave you those flowers. Oh, you're giving. Let me tell you, you did so well last Sunday. Uh, you did so well. You are a star. How many of you think she's a star? Wow, she is a natural actress. Natural actress. I love that. And um, did brilliantly. Humility is such a powerful force. And can I just say to you that when you humble yourself, you think that you lose, but in actual fact you win. Humility will always cause you to win. And it's like this battle of, of pride and arrogance versus humility. And it's like, no, no, I've got I to prove myself to be strong. No, you prove yourself to be strong by humbling yourself. And Jesus set us the example by humbling himself. Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis, the emptying of himself. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, died upon the cross. And God gave him a name above every other name. So because he humbled himself, God exalted him. And what an example for us. And he's Mary as well. He's got this very spirit of servanthood. Let me serve. He's the maid servant of the Lord. How can I serve God? How can I serve people? How can I serve my community? What can I do to serve? How can I be a blessing to you? Can I just say, when people see that, they value that. Oh, no, no, they're going to walk all over me. I'm going to be used and abused. Now, you've got some people that are... They've got their quirks and whatever, but the majority of people are not going to use you and abuse you. The majority of people are actually going to lift you up. Can I just say in family? 
To be a servant is such an incredible thing. Can I talk to the men? I'm the head of the home. Talk to me. Serve your family. Just serve. Serve your wife. Serve your kids. Oh, no, no. They've got to serve me. No. Let me tell you. Serve your kids. Serve your wife. Be a servant in your home. Oh, no, but I'm supposed to be the head of the home. Exactly. The head of the home serves. No, the head of the home dominates. No, you've been taught by the wrong people. Jesus is our role model. And he says, I'll show you how to love your home the way that I love the church and gave myself up for her. See, too many people get this wrong. They kind of think that power is in domination when actual fact power is in service. And you get the power by people giving it to you, not you taking it. When you serve, actually, you get honored. And there's something powerful about service and humbling. And that's why Mary found favor with God, because she became a servant. And you'll find favor with God when you can become a servant as well. And number four, the fourth reason Mary found favor with God was because she was a worshiper. And uh, verse 46 is all about worship and this beautiful song that's been written. And we're talking about a teenager got, got this. And when you read about it, you know, Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty who has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones, exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercies as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever just beautiful song of worship can i just say to you that when you begin to worship your heart begins to be soft and there's something beautiful about people who know how to worship people who have so been impacted with god that the natural outflow of their heart is worship see religious people can't worship because their heart hasn't been touched See, if you've just learned a a, a catechism, if you've just learned a doctrine, how can you worship? So, so, you know, I I can still remember um, going to Italy in 1971. I was 12 years of age. And we went and stayed with a family. And and my father prayed. He said, look, can, can we pray? And they were so touched with his prayer that they said, can you write out your prayer? And I can remember as a 12-year-old kid being brought up in church, hearing prayers like this all of my life. It was just so strange for me that someone would ask, can you write out the prayer? It's like, just open your mouth and it comes out. That's that's the way that we've been taught to pray. You just open your mouth and it's an overflow. But not for religious people. They'd never heard anything like that because for them, their heart was locked up. And so the only prayers that they could pray were the prayers that were written for them. Can you see the difference between 
prayers that are written for you and prayers that come out of your heart, worship that comes out of your heart, because things that comes out of your heart is, is what's there, this relationship, this encounter with God. And I'm sure there's so many people that come to our church and hear what we do here and see what we do here and say, that's weird, that's strange. I, I mean, seriously, think about this. The first time you came to our church and you saw all these people with hands lifted up and they're praising, they're worshiping God, and you come from a religious background, you come from a different church, it's like, what in the world? What's going on here? Let me tell you what this is. It's called worship. And it's this overflow of the heart. When your heart has been touched by God, it's like this is, this is how we respond to God. We worship. We're worshipers. And we're going to be worshiping. If you don't like worship, you're going to hate heaven. Heaven's all about worship. Those of you that love worship, you're going to love heaven because heaven's all about worship. When we get visions of, 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 of heaven in the Bible, what we see is this, the throne of God and surrounding the throne are all these people, the beasts and the elders and multitudes of people worshipping. They're worshipping the King of Kings. They're worshipping their God. They're worshipping. Why? Because they know He's worth, worthy of worship. They've understood His worship. And that's why we worship, because we know his worship. And if you have not worked out his worship, worship is a tough gig. And I see people with hands in their pockets and they're looking around. In worship. And then I look at other people and they just they go, what, is that over? That was so quick. That's the difference between someone whose heart is soft and someone hasn't had that impact yet. And you know what? My prayer is that you will have that impact. Come on, Sophia. Let me just, uh, just finish up here by just saying, the only way that you can get that, that soft heart is to have an encounter with God. To have an encounter with Him. He came all this way to have an encounter with you. What do you see in this manger? Do you just see a picture of a nice Christmas story? Or do you see, for God so loved the world? That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What do you see? Do you see? God, you made the heavens. You made the earth. You, you can flick your fingers and you can create a universe. And yet, you would come all this way because you love me? Yes. Because I love you. You're worth something to me. Me? There's over seven billion of, of me's, of us. On this planet, but there's only one of you, says God. Just one of you. And because there's only one of you, you're valuable to me. Oh, God. I'm of that value to you. Yeah, I would come and die just for you. Just for you. That's how valuable you are. Lord, if you put that value on me, I'm going to put even more value on you. And all of a sudden, what happens is that we begin to worship we worship because we've been touched. We've been impacted by the King who came all that way so that we could be saved. He came to die and pay the penalty for our sins. What did He give? He, he left His throne in glory. He took on the form of a child. He grew up in this world, became the Savior of the world by dying on the cross. What did He do for you? He did it all for you. 
So what does he require of you? Just this. Humility. Say, Jesus, you paid the penalty for my sins. I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to say I'm sorry. And I'm willing to believe. And I'm willing to follow. When you're able to do that, you'll be saved. Your name will be written in the book of heaven. Your sins will be forgiven. But more than that, you'll be given a hope and a future. You'll be given direction in life. And that's the beautiful thing, is the direction in life. The beautiful thing is, is the fellowship, is the unity, is, is having God on your side. It's, it's getting to every, every, every intersection in life and saying, God, what's your will in this? Which way do I go, left or right, A or B? And God's saying, this is the way, walk in it. Don't turn from the left or the right. And God giving you direction in life. That's what makes this all so beautiful. And then all of a sudden your eyes get open and you understand the meaning of life. You understand what this world is all about. And you understand this. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. I'm not designed for this world forever and ever. I'm designed for his world forever and ever. And he came all the way from heaven to prepare me to go back and live with him forever and ever. But the only way for me to get there is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Christmas, my my friends, is that what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And once your sins are washed away, you will have a free pass for heaven forever and ever. Thanks for listening to this message from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.